Hi there, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program around Australia. If you're listening for the first time, make sure you check out the back catalogue of episodes. There are, to put it mildly, shit tons of good stories for you to sink your teeth into. Or your ears. Do you sink your ears? I don't know. That doesn't make sense. But there is also a Queer Stories book that you really should buy and a podcast collaboration with Google's Creative Lab called My Mother's Kitchen. It features a bunch of Queer Stories storytellers and is a cool interactive game slash podcast slash, I don't know, experimental audio experience. It's cool and you should check it out at mymotherskitchen.com.au. Teddy Dunn is an independent director, theatre maker and dramaturg who graduated from Flinders Drama Centre in 2015 with first-class honours and a university medal. Since graduation, Teddy has directed four debuts of new Australian plays and as an actor, Teddy's worked with State Theatre Company, the ABC, Act Now Theatre, Patch Theatre Company and Vital Statistics. He was a participant in the 2015 Director's Studio at Playwriting Australia and in 2016 he won the Bendigo Bank Award with the Helpman Academy. Teddy first performed this story at Adelaide Writers' Week in March 2019, then again in Sydney and Melbourne in June. One. The first suit I ever wore was painted onto a cardboard egg. I was playing Humpty Dumpty at the time (laughs) with only my legs visible Uh, sitting on a drama block and then falling backward onto a gym mat at the queue of fall. (laughs) Whilst Humpty Dumpty's fate was a tragedy, I believe the most heart-wrenching element of this performance was that I wasn't given any eye holes. (laughs) And therefore never saw myself as an egg. Two. My first experience wearing a fabric suit was on a runway when I was six. My aunt has always been a member of various clubs for middle-aged women, and one afternoon they had a fashion show for children. My sister Rose and I, both happening to be children at the time, (laughs) were brought to a multi-purpose room. A makeshift dressing room was assembled from pin-up boards and inside was a rack of clothes. Hanging near the back was a red suit with a fine white line running through the fabric. Its beauty pierced my heart in a way that hadn't happened with any other piece of clothing except for my Peter Coombe T-shirt, which shouldn't count really because everyone would want that (laughs) T-shirt. I asked to wear the suit and some ladies exchanged glances, but they allowed me to try it on It fit me perfectly, which everyone could tell immediately since I'd been watched carefully by several women who seemed suspicious but also like they were sewers and knew a good fit when they saw one. (laughs) I wore it with a white shirt with the top two buttons undone and walked down the drama block runway in my black patent leather shoes like a prince. My mum couldn't afford to buy the suit, but we were permitted to keep one item as a kind of payment, and so I kept the jacket. I cried later, knowing that the suit was broken up and incomplete, (laughs) and that some boy would have my trousers. (laughs) Like most of my crying as a child, it was secret. The tears were running into my ears, hot and quiet. 
My family don't remember any of this, but I have photographic evidence that I owned that jacket because I wore it to Bethany Newman's birthday party. <laughs> Three. My dad loves genealogy. He told me that one of our ancestors was a knight, like a knight in shining armour. I was in my 20s when I heard this, but I felt myself shift into a little child, imagining myself sitting astride a white stallion, resplendent in gleaming silver, lance at the ready. It made sense that it was in my jeans to wear a suit made of armour. Four. A mid-blue 1970s suit paired with a bright orange tie and cherry red Doc Martens was my formal outfit. <laughs> Nobody was out as queer at Unley High in 2005, and when I subsequently came out as a lesbian in health class, Natalie Evernyardis asked me if being a lesbian was why I wore a suit to formal. I had a deep sense that it wasn't why, <laughs> but that maybe the reasons were similarly transgressive. <laughs> I said no, but gave no further explanation because uh, I didn't have one. <laughs> I spent $79 on the suit, $10 on the tie, and then with the remaining $11, I bought a share in a bottle of Bacardi with two Emily's. I didn't end up getting very much of that Bacardi um, because I smoked a joint and spent uh, most of the evening sitting under a tree and waiting for people to visit me. I felt I couldn't walk. And... That may have been because I had used duct tape to bind my chest and stomach. I didn't call it binding, I just wanted to fit into the suit. Uh, and the fact that I had bought a suit that would fit me only uh, if I didn't have breasts hadn't occurred to me. My mum wanted me to be able to have my hair and makeup done professionally. Uh, and so she took me to her hairdresser, Susie. <laughs> Susie was, and still is probably, a tiny, coked up Italian woman. <laughs> who was once so speedy that she cut the webbing of her finger when she was cutting my hair and bled all over my ear. She gave me an updo and applied foundation like it was sunscreen. It was so dark against my milk-white skin that I seriously considered removing it, uh, but my mum convinced me that it was better than nothing. She was wrong to convince me of that. I was a monstrous aggregate, with the head of a tubby beauty queen applicant who moonlit as a rhythmic gymnast, 
the body of a tubby teenage boy attending his formal in 1974 <laughs> and riot girl feet. I had gone stag, so in all my photos I was sandwiched between four of my friends, all in peach or teal dresses, in poses that would look right if I'd been wearing a dress. I couldn't explain why, but I felt deeply humiliated. After the after party, I stayed with about six other people at Victoria de Cruz's overnight and left that suit hanging in her closet, and I never saw it again. Five, I own a suit now. It was made in 1937 for an Esquire. His name is printed on a little fabric tag on the inside of the waistcoat typed on a typewriter. While the pants and waistcoat fit me well, the jacket never has. I could never tell exactly why. Is it too boxy because my shoulders aren't broad enough or because my hips kick out the base of the jacket further than they should? Uh, the sleeves are the right length, but are my arms too skinny maybe or not skinny enough at the top? What kind of body did the Esquire have and why did I fit some parts of the suit and not others? As I was writing this, I realised it's likely that he didn't have breasts. Uh, <laughs> Regardless, I wear the two pieces that do fit me whenever I want to feel either A, as though I've made an effort, or B, proud of myself. I'm not sure what I will do if I'm ever proud of myself in winter and can't justify being jacketless. <laughs> Hasn't happened so far. <laughs> Six. I really haven't spent a lot of time in my birthday suit. For some time, I didn't even make love in it. It's always been an ill-fitting thing, bunched in places, too tight and stretched in others, uncomfortable to move in. Nothing I've done to change myself, and I have done much, has made it comfortable. For some time, I thought about throwing it away, but it was a gift from my mum, and I've grown attached to it. So I'm getting it tailored. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and consider signing up to my crowdfunding page on Patreon. Small monthly donations help me keep my business afloat as an independent producer and artist and in exchange you get discount tickets, giveaways, merch and that warm glow of supporting the arts. For event updates or those excellent social pages pics from the various events, follow Queer Stories on Facebook and for late night ramblings and photos of my excellent dog Frank, follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram.